So are there contradictions in the Bible? And if there were, would that prove that Christianity was false? You know, skeptics love to criticize the Bible for supposedly having contradictions from tiny details like a small change in a word to huge debates over what they claim are massive differences in how the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus's time on earth. They've certainly left no jot or tittle unturned, if you know what I mean. Now, if there are contradictions, does that mean the Bible is not the inerrant word of God that it claims to be? These are big questions and certainly worthy of our time to discuss today on the Creation Today Show. God is giving the law on Mount Sinai to give to the nation of Israel. And then when Jesus came, he establishes the new covenant. What are the reasons why they're coming up with these? I mean, it seems like they're looking for errors rather than looking for harmony. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation and why it matters to you. If you are new to the Creation Today Show, I'm your host, Eric Hovind, and we are on a mission to disciple the world, starting with you. You, uh, you are definitely going to learn a lot from today's conversation. If you're not, by the way, one of our Creation Today partners, then right now you're peeking into one of the conversations that we have with our, with our own community. Uh, we're going to let you stay for the first half hour, but then you got to go. I'm sorry about that. However, if you ever want to be part of our mission to disciple the world and you decide to partner with us, you can partner with us for any amount you want. It starts at just two bucks a month. You can't beat that. Uh, then you get the opportunity to enjoy the second half of the show. And I can tell you this, myself and all of our partners would sure love to have you on our team. So if you want, come on over at some point to creationtoday.org and let's disciple the world together. Hey, Creation Today partners, great to have you guys on here. I love having these conversations, excuse me, especially when we're dealing with the Word of God and, and asking the question, is there anything wrong with this? I mean, skeptics have come up against this over and over and over, and on our social media age, it's gotten even worse with people repeating bad arguments. So in order to have this conversation today, I invited a well-known guest to our show he is the author of many books and DVD series, including uh, Risen, uh, there, there it is, Risen, Without a Doubt, an entire DVD series, a single He Is Risen, uh, Shrouded in Mystery on the Shroud of Turin, uh, Resurrection is his favorite uh, thing to talk about, In Defense of Easter, Going into Easter, he uh, has written a series on uh, Old Earth Creationism on Trial, he did a whole series on Noah, uh, the Remnant Trilogy. Uh, he's written about his battle with cancers. He's done a, a, a kid's book series called The Truth Chronicles. And then probably one of my favorites, Fallen. It is one of the most comprehensive books available on the sons of God and the Nephilim. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest is none other than Dr. Tim Chafee. Dr. Chafee, welcome to, see, uh, welcome to the Grace Today Show, man. Good to see you again. Hey, Eric. Great to see you as always. Thanks for the I nice have, intro. <laughs> How much do I owe you for that one? <laughs> yeah, but, well, you're the one who did all the work, man. I mean, I've, I, I've already gleaned so much from the work that you've done. I think I still owe you. The price of your books is nothing compared to the knowledge I gained, Tim. <laughs> oh, nothing at keen. all. <laughs> oh, man. Well, where, where are you at today? 
Uh, right now I'm down at the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky. So anybody paying attention or watching today, make sure you get on down to the Ark. We've already got new stuff going on and also visit the Creation Museum while you're in the area. That is constantly changing. We're updating exhibits there all the time. So uh, it's just a blessing to be a part of it and to uh, be working with a ministry that says, let's take a stand on God's word from the very beginning to the very end and that it's all true. So, uh, you know, aligns very well with what you're doing. And uh, so I look forward to this conversation. Hey, if you're in the chat and you can just 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 do a little bragging moment, if you will, if you've ever been to the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter, just put I was there and then the year. Just tell us when you were there at the Creation Museum and at, or at the Ark Encounter. If you're on social media, do that and just kind of you know brag a little bit. Let people know you've been to one of the premier attractions in the United States. It really is an amazing place. Um, Hey, Tim, I wanted to give away a book. Uh, the, the book we're going to give away today is sponsored by our friends over at Master Books. And the book title is Demolishing Supposed Bible Contradictions, volume number one. There's two volumes, volume one and volume two. Now, Tim, you actually got to be part of volume two. I couldn't give that away today. We got to give away the first part. They can buy the second part, okay? If you want to be enrolled uh, to, uh, to, to try to get your name drawn to win this book, all you have to do is tell me, has anyone ever questioned you about Bible contradictions? Or maybe name one of the Bible contradictions somebody is, or supposed ones that somebody has questioned you about. You put that in the chat and uh, the ladies over in the office will let me know who our winner is. So you got from now till the half hour break to, to put an answer in there. Has anyone questioned you about Bible contradictions? And if so, what was it? And you'll be in the drawing for, to win that book absolutely free. Well, Tim, I wanted to have this conversation specifically because I'm seeing more and more reels on Instagram, on TikTok, and you know, even Facebook and other places where where there 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 are these individuals that think, oh man, yeah, I'm 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 acting like an authority on the subject, and they're like, well, of course, there's Bible contradictions, and they list off a couple. They don't try to explain them; they just say these are contradictions, and it's almost like a slap and run to the Bible. But they're getting a lot of views and people are believing them. So I'm concerned with where we're at in social media today, teaching these things. And uh, I, I, so that's why I want to hit Bible contradictions. You've talked about this. You've written on this. Um, I, I think I'd like to start by asking you the question, if there are contradictions, um, does that mean that the Bible's not true or that Christianity is false? How, how far can we go if there are contradictions in the Bible? Yeah, so I think that's two different questions there that you just asked, and I, and I want to make sure we're, we're careful in how we talk about that. Um, so if there was a legitimate contradiction in the Bible, where some, and I think we really have to define that as well. So let me, let's do that after I answer your first couple of questions. Okay. So let's say they found a real contradiction in, in the Bible that they're holding in their hand. Would that disprove Christianity? And the answer is, uh, most likely not. So let's say that they found a, a difference in numbers between a how old somebody was in First Samuel or Second Samuel versus how old they might have been in First Chronicles. Does that somehow prove that Jesus didn't die on the cross for their sins and rise from the dead? And the answer, of course, is no. It does. So it doesn't disprove Christianity if they were able to find something like that. Now, if there if there was something uh, that directly related to you know Christ sacrificial death on the cross and the, the resurrection from the dead, where you had contradictory statements about whether or not those happened, which of course there aren't any. But um, if, if you had that, then that would impact whether or not Christianity were true. Um, so at best, what they're doing is finding a, a, a contradiction in a modern translation that they're reading and saying, oh, therefore I can't believe any of this, which really is a, a 
poor argument uh, because the, the doctrine of inerrancy as, as traditionally stated for conservative Christians, for uh, whether it's fundamentalists or evangelicals, a lot of um, conservative churches is that inerrancy it applies to the original autographs and to the copies insofar as they accurately reflect the original autographs. It does not mean that every single translation in every single language that we have will be 100% accurate because there may be a poor word choice by a translator, or uh, you do have cases of what we call variants, where uh, like a typo kind of thing. We have those. And in most cases, we, this is more of a textual criticism issue. We, we can go back and try, because of the, the wealth of manuscripts we have, we can usually go back and figure out what that should be, where that little error came in, you know, typo came in and get that corrected. Um, so I think that answers the first part. I think that the second part, we need to define what a contradiction is, because a lot of times people just <laughs> they'll, they'll throw that word out there all the time. And it, a lot of things they raise are not contradictions at all. Yeah, I want to look at one, but let me first, like, part, part, of, my, part of my statement of faith for, for creation today literally says, uh, we believe, as a statement of faith, we believe the Bible is the divine, divinely inspired and inerrant revelation of the Creator to man. The original, miraculously given autographs are without error. The final guide to the interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. And that Scripture is our final authority on all matters, and it's free from errors of any sort. So now we're, now we're looking at, yes, copies of original autographs. So I think we'll get into that as we go through here. Um, but I'm, I'm literally building an organization. I'm building my life. I'm trying to build everything and trying to encourage other people to say, to, to realize this should be your authority in life. So... That is really the, 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 this is the goal of what we're going for. You need to understand the Bible is the authority. That's why all these videos out there about contradictions, they, they frustrate me because they're spreading, I, I think they're, I believe they're spreading disinformation. Well, they are spreading disinformation. Uh, I came across a guy on TikTok. Uh, let's, let's hit one real quick. I just want to see like what your thoughts are on this. This guy on TikTok talking about Joshua uh, chapter six uh, versus Jesus in the New Testament. He's like, look, Look at this contradiction. Kent, if you got that clip, play that one. So think about like Joshua 6, where God tells Joshua to go and destroy the entire city of Jericho, man, woman, children, everything. And how that kind of narrative is woven throughout the Old Testament, go and destroy all of your enemies. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And then he says, in that way, you can be real sons of the, your father in heaven. He's saying, God really is the kind of God that loves his enemies. You see how the Bible corrects the Bible when the Bible has better or more information. How would you handle that one? It's like, okay, love your enemies. Uh, and then Old Testament, it was, you know, go, go take everybody out. Yeah, the first thing you have to do is look at the context of the passage. You have to look at who is being spoken to and for what purpose. So in Joshua 6, you have the Israelites are just entering into the promised land, the land that God had given them. 400 years earlier to Abraham, he said that this is going to be a land, but it's going to wait 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, these people are, are very wicked, but I'm going to allow 400 years of grace period, basically, before I judge them. And so Israel is the instrument of judgment on those people. Of course, that is never brought into the conversation by people like this. They just see the one passage or, uh, you know, they look at a verse or something and say, oh, God tells them to wipe out everybody in this town. And then later on, God says, love your enemy. But one, you're talking about a nation. 
being used as an instrument of judgment against another nation. And when Israel messed up, God used other nations to judge them. He used the Assyrians to judge them. And of course, they went way overboard in what they were supposed to do. And so they were judged as a result. Uh, so sometimes God used Israel as that instrument of judgment. Sometimes he used the Israel's enemies as the instrument of judgment. But what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to individuals. And he's telling us how we are supposed to turn the other cheek and how we are to love uh, everyone, including our enemies. And we're supposed to pray for those who persecute you. But if you happen to be a soldier in the military, Jesus never said, you're not allowed to carry out your duty if you, if you go to war. He, he never says anything like that. So there's the how we live our lives as individuals. And then there is the government, like in Romans 13 talks about, has the right to bear the sword. And uh, so God will use nations to judge other nations. And in this case, you have uh, Jesus speaking to individuals and how we should, how we're supposed to live our lives. So there's no contradiction there at all. But um, if you just do a 30 second clip like he did and you set it at odds and make it seem like the, you're talking about the same thing at the same level, then it comes across as though it were one. But, it, but it's clearly not in this case. There clearly is a principle in scripture of of loving your enemies from, from, from Jesus' standpoint. I don't think Jesus would also advocate. That means if somebody is raping your wife, well, you, you know, you just got to let them. I mean, that's it's just nothing on an individual basis. I think God constantly, I mean, why, why would he, why would his disciples have swords with them? Okay. Obviously he was okay with personal protection and you're right. He's distinguishing or, or, or you know, comparing a nation and what a nation should do and those kind of laws to, to individuals. Um, how about this? I went on the uh, the atheist website, and then I want to ask you kind of why are people doing this? I went Which, on uh, American Atheists. Okay, I, I, thought you, website, I, thought, I thought they just had one website. You said the atheist website, but the, <laughs> the American the, Atheist. Okay, the American Atheist website. Yes, I went on their website, and uh, and they had a list of supposed Bible contradictions, and the very first one was. Well, hey, God said, remember the Sabbath, and then you go to New Testament, and it's, you know, Romans 14, one man says, esteem one day above another, another man esteems them all the same, so here you have a contradiction. What do you think? All right, well, you're probably going to get a couple different answers from Christians who come from different perspectives, so let me just put that out there first, but let me give you what I think is the very clear one, or what I think is the right one, and there's going to be some people who would disagree, but um, the remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that's the the what we count, Protestants count as like the fourth commandment. And that's in Exodus chapter 20. That is the, as part of the giving of the law to Moses for Israel. So God is giving the law on Mount Sinai to give to Moses or to give to the nation of Israel. Um, so that is part of what we call the Mosaic law. And then when Jesus came, he establishes the new covenant. So you have that Mosaic covenant and he established, Jesus establishes the new covenant. And uh, the book of Hebrews talks about how that old covenant is becoming obsolete now that the new has, has arrived. And in the old covenant, the Israelites were required to keep the Sabbath day. So the, uh, what we would refer to as Saturday, you know, the, the, the seventh day of the week for them, it started on Friday evening and ended on Saturday evening. Uh, they weren't allowed to do work on that day or other things. But when you get to the new covenant and the gospel starts to go out to Gentiles who were not under that Mosaic covenant and in the new covenant, they're not under that. That spelled out very clearly multiple times in the New Testament. Um, that's where you get that statement in Romans that one man esteems one day as holy one. Another man esteems every day alike. Let each be convic convinced in his own mind. So it, we're not it's just as. Um, 
let's say that the person who I'm going to assume he's from America. Okay. He's speaking English and everything, which I know more people speak English, but let's just say he's an American. Is, are we going to hold him to the standards of Brazil's laws and force him to follow everything Brazil said? Well, of course not. He's an American. He's got to follow American, the laws in America, not those guiding a different people. So that's, to me, that's the simplest answer. But as I said, you'll get some different approaches from other Christians. So why, why are people coming up with these supposed, what, what, are the, what are the reasons why they're coming up with these? I mean, it seems like they're looking for errors rather than looking for harmony, but like, what are your thoughts on why people are doing this? Uh, well, I'm sure there's multiple reasons. I, I think a, a, a large one is that there, you know, we know from scripture that we know from experience, our hearts are, uh, we have a bent towards sin. We, you know, if left to our own devices, we would turn from God and we would go our own way and not follow what he says. And so a lot of people are looking to, to satisfy that. They're looking to find reasons not to believe. Maybe they grew up in a, in a church setting that uh, where somebody wronged them or they felt like it was abusive in some way, because let's face it, there's been, there are situations like that. And that's one of the reasons why Christians need to live godly lives. So we're not exasperating children and passing ideas like that into the next generation. But um, so they, they have some sort of bone to pick with somebody within the church or somebody who hurt them in some way, or maybe it's just because this is what's popular in our day and age. There are a lot of, um, it's an easy way to get a lot of clicks and followers if if you are attacking the Bible. Um, it's why Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code sold 85 million copies in the, you know just in the first couple of years, one for every four people in America. I mean, it's just I got I gotta, I gotta pause you right there. I watched the master class on him talking about how to write. And he said, the first thing you got to come up with is this idea that's different. And he literally made that, made some of those things up as a, as a writing exercise. It was just interesting. I, I got the clip of it somewhere. I grabbed that, but I was like, I can't believe he's admitting here in this masterclass that he made this stuff up. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. And so if you can convince yourself that there are, you know, contradictions in the Bible, then it's like, well, I don't have to follow the Bible. And I think that this goes back to the point you asked right away. I think it's really important for Christians to understand that we need to nuance how we teach this issue because so many young people have been raised to believe that the Bible that they're holding in their hand, that particular version, whichever one it is, that there are no contradictions. And all it would take is for like a first, uh, you know, a, a professor in college or even in high school or a, a TikTok video of one person saying, well, what about this verse and this verse? And if they've never been trained to think, oh, we're talking about the original main, uh, original autographs, we don't have those. So this guy can't actually point out a contradiction in the original because we don't have him to study. We, I don't have to throw away my faith because he hasn't really shown any problems. He, he's not able to. And now, the skeptic would probably respond, well, you don't have the original, so you can't prove that it's without error either. And I would say... That that's a fair point. And that's why it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of belief. It's a well-reasoned belief, but we cannot prove with scientific certainty in every single point that we know for certain there were no errors when it was written. Now, we believe that because we believe it's inspired by God, and we believe that there are enough, um, we have enough before us today that has been accurately copied and accurately translated to demonstrate, yeah, there, there aren't errors. So... Well, let's let's hit some more here. So, uh, uh, just because you have a difficult pass passage doesn't mean it's necessarily a contradiction, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I, that's, we we need to define what a contradiction is. It's not a difficulty. 
Okay. Now it could be, I mean, a difficulty could be, be the result of the contradiction, but just because something is difficult doesn't make it a contradiction. So, uh, and yet that's sometimes what we'll see from skeptics. They'll just say, well, I don't, this is hard to understand. Contradiction. No, that's not a contradiction. In fact, dig a little bit deeper. So uh, how about we start with a really easy one on that um, as, as an example of, uh, so uh, in John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then in Romans 5, uh, we read verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, Eric, who did he die for? Did he die for the sheep or did he die for the ungodly? Oh, this must be a contradiction, <laughs> right? Uh, and this is the type of thing they're doing. And, and so it's not really a difficulty. I said this would be an easy one. Um, and, and there's a couple ways you can solve this depending on your own theological view. One, you could say he died for both the sheep and the ungodly, or you could say he died for all the sheep were ungodly when he died for them. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, or both. So it's just, yeah, there's no contradiction there, but just because it doesn't seem to match perfectly the same wording in both cases, that doesn't make it a contradiction. I do find it interesting when, uh, when they, when they do a video and they just, they, they, they just act like they, the, I'm just letting the word speak for itself. You know, Genesis one, uh, three through five, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And then they're like, but wait a minute, wait a minute. A few verses later, just read this just a few verses later. Genesis 1, 16. And God made two great lights. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. How could there be light on day number one? And there's a contradiction because the lights weren't made until day number four. You've never heard of that one, have you? Oh, my goodness. That, that's a contradiction. I mean, I'm looking up right now and I'm seeing a bunch of light in this room and it's not from the sun. I'm just wondering what's happening. How can you have that? It's, um, I, I'm having I'm jesting a little bit here, but the Bible doesn't say he created the sun on day one. He created light and it doesn't tell us what that light was. It, perhaps God himself is providing light, like we'll see in Revelation 21 22. It talks about the lamb being the light in the new Jerusalem, that there's no need of the sun. Um but on day four, then he makes the sun, moon, and stars. And that's what that's talking about. So uh, the, again, no contradiction there at all. And yet that's the type of thing that we, we often hear from the skeptic. What about the, the like, times that they feel like, you feel like the Bible's disagreeing with itself, when there's like, what seems like, okay, this author says this, this author says this, you know, Matthew, Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes they differ on different things. What about these like apparent disagreements? How would you handle that? Yeah, I, I, that's that's a good question. So an apparent di disagreement is not necessarily a contradiction either. It's usually what that is like at, on the surface level. Okay, when uh, you have let, let's talk about like the the, the post resurrection accounts or the resurrection accounts in the in the gospels. So Matthew talks about how there was one angel at the tomb. Mark says that there was a young man at the tomb. Uh, Luke says there were two men at the tomb, and John talks about two angels at the tomb. And so skeptics look at that and say, well, there's a contradiction. No, just dig a little deeper. In order to have two angels, you have to also have one. So if one of them, if some of the gospel writers are only talking about the one who spoke, then there's not a contradiction there. Uh, John is actually speaking about a different time. He's talking about a period after um, the women went to the tomb and then Mary and John and Peter go back to the tomb and then John and Peter leave and Mary is there. Um, so the, he's talking about a little bit different time period during that morning. Uh, but as far as men or angels, there's no contradiction there either because angels often appear in the form of men and are referred to as men occasionally. So in Genesis, you have, uh, I think it's what, chapter 18, where uh, you have 
God and two angels appear to Abraham, and it calls them three men. Uh, the two of them go on to Sodom and, uh, you know, to get Lot out of there. And one of them stays behind. That's the Lord. He stays with, with Abraham. And in Daniel 9, you have Gabriel, who's an angel, but it says the man Gabriel came to me. So um, they appear in the form of men. I, I think one thing I would do is just when, when it comes to things that are this basic, or and there's going to be some that are more sophisticated, but would... If the skeptic was on trial for for a crime that they didn't commit, and the prosecuting attorney is presenting statements like this, would they not do everything that they could to try to reconcile and show how, no, 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 this isn't your misunderstanding. You're pulling things out of context. You're, this is what really happened. But they won't do that. They don't ever give the benefit of the doubt because they want there to be a contradiction. And so they'll just pull everything out as much as possible to make it look as bad as possible rather than try to come up with, is there a reasonable way that these things can be reconciled? Yeah, that's that's very, very frustrating. Another way I see them doing it is using what people say in the Bible. You know, the uh, again, go to the Gospels and Jesus said, here's what the red letter words say in this book. Here's what the red letter words say in this book, and they don't match. Obviously, we have a contradiction. Uh, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of where the red letter words would even disagree with each other. <laughs> but oh. um, but even then, I mean, you. so we believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God. And so the black letters are just as, you know, accurate and authoritative as the red letters. Um, but it doesn't mean every single black letter is making a true statement. For example, in Genesis 3, uh, there is someone in that passage who says, you will not surely die. <laughs> well, that's the serpent and he's lying. So it doesn't mean that, that there's a contradiction there because God said they would die. The serpent says they're not going to. No, the serpent is lying, and the, the Bible accurately reports that. Or when the Bible reports that Solomon had, you know, 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. Um, and it also says that marriage is a man, you know, for one man and one woman. It doesn't mean that it's contradicting. It just means Solomon was not being faithful, and he was he went way overboard. So way, way overboard. <laughs> So why do you think there are some of these like different difficulties in the Bible? Why, why are some of these things in there? Yeah, so why not just have it super easy? Why not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write the exact same words in the exact same order? Uh, one, if that happened, you'd have people uh, accusing them of being in collusion. You know, that they all got together and said, hey, let's make sure that we get our story straight. And yet if you saw that in a courtroom again, let's use that analogy, and you had four witnesses come up, before you and they are they all tell you the exact same thing in the exact same order you're going to strongly believe that somebody got to them and coached them and told them here's what you say and, and so their testimony would not really be considered valid but if you had the same four come before you and they are telling uh, overall the same account but from different perspectives including different details and highlighting different area they're emphasizing different things and everything still meshes together that's going to be highly credible and so uh, one reason is they disprove collusion uh two i think another reason why these are in there is they force us to study uh, god wants us to dive into his word and dig deep rather than just this real superficial level thing uh three sometimes these are the result of of the fact that the bible is abbreviating certain things or summarizing certain things um so in the book of Acts, you have 28 chapters, 
of, of early church history, which covers about 30 years of church history. I don't think we're getting every single detail. And in fact, um, sometimes when Paul or Peter delivers a message, you're getting a summary of that message. Uh, when the itinerary of Paul is talked about in some of the missionary journeys that he goes on in the second half of the book, um, sometimes they don't seem to line up perfectly with details like in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, but a big part of the problem with that is that people think that Paul is about to be executed at the end of Acts, and yet he clearly is not. He was already announced that he was not guilty, uh, that he would have been set free if it had not been if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. He's under house arrest where he's got guests coming and going and as he, as he pleases. He, he is actually set free from that and then travels for a couple more years, uh, possibly going as far as Spain, which is what he wanted to do before he's arrested again. And then all of those details line up perfectly with what you read in Second Timothy. So the fact that you're getting such a brief account or summary sometimes makes it seem like the details don't match, but as you dig in and dive closer, you realize, oh yeah, actually this makes perfect sense. And um, and sometimes we're just not gonna understand everything. God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and it doesn't mean that it's a contradiction. It just means, hey, God sometimes doesn't reveal everything that we might want him to reveal. That is uh, many times frustrating, isn't it? It's like, man, why didn't he just tell us this? Why didn't he just tell us that? Uh, but he's given us enough, for sure given us enough. Hey, uh, reminder, we're doing an ebook giveaway, Demolishing the Supposed Bible Contradictions, volume number one. And uh, thank you guys for your comments on uh, Facebook and on YouTube. And uh, here with our Creation Today partners on Facebook, if I call your name or on YouTube, you need to email us in order to get your copy of the book. Our email is just comments at creationtoday.org, comments at creationtoday.org. On Facebook, it's Brandon McCaskill. Brandon McCaskill on YouTube, Joshua Benford or uh, Bresford, Bresford, Joshua Bresford, uh, email us. And for our Creation Today partners, Thomas Potter. Thank you guys for uh, everybody throwing stuff in the chat. I'm, I'm reading some of uh, their stories of going to the Ark Encounter, seeing the thunderstorm, and yes and no on Bible contradictions. And Nate's like, well, for me, it's all science questions. Does the Bible line up with science? So uh, I love it. Hey, Thank you guys on, on social media for joining us for the first half of the show. I'm going to go on. We want to go through a, uh, you know quite a list of supposed Bible contradictions. And I, I don't think we're going to get through it all today. So we're going to do another episode next week as well to continue the conversation on supposed Bible contradictions. I, I got a gift for you, though. If you don't mind taking it, please go to creationtoday.org slash gift. creationtoday.org slash, slash gift. Would love to give that to you before I see you again next week. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, if you want to join the rest of the show, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us. Thank you for joining us for this engaging conversation. To view this and many more conversations in their entirety, we invite you to partner with us at creationtoday.org partner.